I want to talk to you about the power of communion this morning. The power of communion. We're going to partake of these elements. You know, when the first communion that Jesus actually participated in, what, what we know as the Last Supper, was a very simple act. It was a simple act. They just had bread, they had a cup, and they just partook together. But the symbolism was what was powerful. The symbolism. What the symbols represented were life-changing. They were powerful. They're still powerful today. Can you say amen? In what Jesus said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle writing this, he also quotes Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, how many of you are there? Verse 23, for I received from the Lord. Right there, that's powerful, that's important. Paul is saying, I didn't get this from a church council. I didn't get this from a human person. I got this from none other than the Lord. That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to look at uh, three truths very quickly um, where we see the power of communion uh, experienced and, and realized. And Jesus said, in verse 24, do this in remembrance. In verse 25, he said, do this in remembrance of me. It was a memorial. We are called to remember Jesus. This is the first Sunday of the month that we, so the second Sunday that we have instituted communion on a Sunday morning. Previous, we have had it on the first Wednesday of the month. And it's been something that me personally as the pastor, as the leader of the church, I have wrestled with for a long time because I believe that communion, the Lord's Supper, is for true Christians. It's for disciples. It's the first communion that Jesus partook of was with his 12. And this is not something to take lightly. So I want you to be prepared to partake of communion as a true follower of Christ. And if you are not, I would just ask you to abstain. If you're just not sure where you stand, hopefully you can be at the end of the message. But if not, just, uh, just abstain and, and wait for another Sunday. But make sure that your faith in Christ is genuine and is intact and is real. Can you say amen? So communion is a... Memorial. It is a reminder to us. Why do we need a memorial? Why do we need to remember? Because we forget. I know that's very profound, but the reality of it is we forget. So a memorial in Scripture is for the purpose to cause to remember an event, an individual, or an, an achievement. 
In our life groups on Wednesday nights, we are studying the book of Joshua, and we just went through chapter uh, 5 and 6 the last couple of weeks, but in chapter 4, we are confronted with the 12 stones that were set up as a memorial, as a monument, and they were for the people of God to be a reminder of God's mighty power that was demonstrated when God made a way where there was no way. And God made a way through the Jordan. And it was a miraculous event where the water was parted so God's people can go through. And that was to be a reminder, not just for the people who experienced it at that time, but it was to be a memorial for the next generation. When they come up against a barrier, when they come up against the Red Sea or a Jordan, that they themselves would know as another generation of people who have faith in God Almighty and His power, that they would know that, you know what, God did it in the past, He could do it in the present. God can do it again. It would become a memorial. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, the prophet Samuel, he took a stone again and he set up a memorial. And it was when God had won a victory over the Philistines for the people of God. And they set up a memorial and this stone was called Ebenezer. Some of you just woke up and you said, what is this, a Christmas message? Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge? No, no, no. Ebenezer means simply the, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer meant the Lord is our helper. But they set up a monument, a memorial, so that they could remember. People of God, you know, we remember a lot of things we need to forget. We forget a lot of things we need to remember. We are living in an explosion of information. An explosion of information. We could do Google, we could ask Siri for anything. And you know what I have found, uh, and, 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 and I'm going to confess this, my wife will forgive me later, because um, uh, I'm going to tell on her, but you know what, we, we turn to Google, to Google some of the most useless pieces of information. Just sometimes when we're together, you know, we think of a, a, a sportscaster uh, watching TV or, or we think of some, some figure, a uh, uh, political campaign or whatever, and we wonder, how old is he? So we Google, how old is so-and-so? Big deal, whether he's 68, 72, 71, it doesn't make a difference. How much does so-and-so make? You know, a football player, a, a movie star. And I, I tell my wife, I said, why are you bothering? It's just more useless information. But isn't it true? Nowadays, we're, we're Googling, we're asking Siri for things that really don't matter. We're filling our brain with a lot of information that's not necessary. And what happens is it pushes out those things that are important. What's important? This memorial. Jesus said, do this. The Lord, Jesus said, do this in memorial of me. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, knew how important this was. And at the most significant moment in time, most critical strategic time, he said, remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just go through a whipping. 
before he went to the cross. He didn't just wear a crown of thorns and he wasn't just nailed to a cross. He didn't just have a spear go through his side, but he also rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he is alive forevermore. And before he ascended, he told his disciples, all power and authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. So I want to talk to you in three areas quickly. I hope you have your Bibles, your phones, you're able to get to the Scriptures quickly. But there is some powerful verses of Scripture I want to give you. Three points. Number one, the power of communion declares the power over Satan. The power over Satan. Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture. When you're there, say amen. Some of you don't know what to do. There's no screen. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2. In you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is talking about the work of Christ on the cross. And what was that power? What was that effect? In verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 would you turn there? The last book of the Bible shouldn't be that difficult to find. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And they overcame him. Who? The devil. Satan, the accuser of the brethren. I don't know if you realize this in our culture, in our day and age, we've become so sophisticated, we have forgotten, even in the church, that we have a spiritual battle that's raging with principalities and powers and spiritual forces and wickednesses in high places. But the Bible says they overcame him. Who? The people of God. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. They overcame by the word of their testimony. That tells you how powerful the words are that you speak when you testify of what Jesus Christ has done for you. When was the last time you told somebody, not just about how great your pastor is, although he is, not just about how awesome your church is, although it is, but no, how you've told them about who Jesus is and what Christ has done for you. The word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, the power of it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You need to understand something this morning. Satan is defeated. The devil is defeated. Scriptures are clear right from the beginning of time. Turn with me to Genesis. I'm going to take you Genesis to Revelation. Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you the first prophecy of the coming of Christ. This is powerful. I want you to get this this morning. The first prophecy ever made. How many of you know that with God, 
in relationship to man, even before God created us, he knew there would be the fall of man. You see, the cross, salvation was not God's afterthought. The Bible says that Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. God already knew the need we would have, and he already prepared a means to meet that need. He already knew what we would go through in life, and God already provided. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is a prophecy, uh, uh, God speaking against the serpent whom the devil used and who represented the devil. In verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. That's what Christ did on the cross. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Christ was affected. Christ suffered. Christ died on a cross. That was, but his, it was just a bruising of his heel. But what he accomplished on the cross, he crushed Satan's skull. He rendered him powerless. He rendered them against the believer. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's why the Bible said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You will tread upon serpents and upon scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Come on, somebody shout out, say, I got power. I've got power over the enemy. The power over Satan. In, in our life group, again, and, and that's why it's so good to go to life groups. Amen. You'll learn something. I'm learning something. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you'll learn something too if you went. <laughs> amen. Amen. Some of you haven't been to Bible study in years. Come on. But in, our, in our, our life group lesson on the book of Joshua, this was the quote. Listen, this is good. We fight. We fight from a place of victory. Not for victory. We fight from a place of victory. So what does that mean? It means we've already won the battle. It means we are already victorious. It means that we are on the winning side. Why is this critical? Why is this important? You know why? Because it's all about confidence. No, I don't know if you're getting me. Turn to the person next to you. Say, are you getting this? Well, tell them then you better listen good. You see, when we know, when you know you already have the victory won, doesn't that change the whole perspective of confidence when you go into battle? You see, it changes everything. When you know you've already won the battle, it changes everything, the way you carry yourself. The, the confidence you have. Now, when I was in the eighth grade, 12 years old, I was on a youth baseball team, CYO, it's called. And this was made up of seventh and eighth graders, and this was a part of an organization. And back in whenever that was, our team, now listen. We were the first CYO team. Now, you could look. I even got a picture. I, got, I can show you the article in the paper. We were the first team to go undefeated, 18-0. and 0. You're looking at me like you're really impressed. You should be. <laughs> you didn't know your pastor was a part of 
a championship team. Now, this is baseball. Some of you don't know the concept of baseball, but it's not that difficult. Just stick with me. Get the essence of what I'm trying to say. So we were undefeated. Now, for those of you that don't know baseball, that's a good thing. We were 18-0. Now, listen, I was a part of that team, but to be honest with you, I was not the best player. And I wasn't even the best, I, I, I wasn't the best pitcher, but they allowed me to pitch one game because we were so good and so uh, uh, towards the end of the year. They allowed me to pitch. Now, I was probably, out of the five or six pitches, I was probably the fifth best. How many of you know that's not that good? <laughs> but listen now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prove a point. I'm not trying to impress you with my baseball prowess, but I'm trying to prove a point. Now, because our team was so good, because the players behind me were so good, when I pitched, I pitched that game, and I ended up pitching a one-hitter. Now, again, that's good. Say wow, all of you. But you know what made the difference? You know what really made the difference? Not because I was so good, but because my team, I knew we already had the victory. I knew we were a winning team. So when I got up there, my confidence level was over the top. My, 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 the, my, my strut, my swagger was different because I knew that we already won. And see, brothers and sisters, we have to understand as believers in Jesus Christ, at the cross, Satan was defeated. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I receive my sight. The power of what Jesus did. Satan is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. We are victorious. We have to understand that we are fighting this battle from a place of victory. Through the power of the cross, Jesus vanquished the power of hell. And you see, communion celebrates that victory. What did Jesus said? I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until I eat it anew in my Father's kingdom. So what is he saying? He's saying I triumphed over the death, hell, and the grave over this world and the worlds to come. And one day you will eat and drink this cup with me in my Father's kingdom. The battle's been won. The victory's been won. You and I have defeated the powers of darkness through the cross. Secondly, the power of communion is power over sin. Power over sin. In Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, This cup is for the remission of sins. This cup is for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood, Jesus said. The new covenant, which makes possible forgiveness of sins. Isn't it good to know that forgiveness is available our past sins can be forgiven. We all fail. We make mistakes. We blow it. Forgiveness is a clean slate. Forgiveness is the ability to start all over again. Some of you need to be listening to what I'm saying this morning and not being distracted because you need forgiveness. You need the grace of God. You see, what is, what is see, I'm not trying to make light of sin because we have to understand sin is the breaking of the commands of Almighty God. You see, we don't look at them as commands. We look at them as the ten suggestions. They're not the ten suggestions. God's commanded 
You and I, we're mere mortals. We're human beings. He's God Almighty. Sin is the transgression of the law of God. Sin is the breaking of the moral law of Almighty God. God set up moral laws in this, in this society, and we see in this culture, brothers and sisters, the Bible prophesies of an ap- apostasy that's coming in the last days. What is an apostasy? It is believers turning away from Christ. It's not the world turning away. It's believers. It's people in the church of God all across this nation and around the world that are apostatizing. What are they doing? They're falling away. They're turning away into error and, and false doctrine. Why? Because they're finding preachers and teachers that will tickle their ears, make them comfortable in their sin and in their rebellion against Almighty God just for the sake of a tithe in a body in a pew. God help us. We have settled for a false gospel. We've accepted false doctrine and, and we have preached it and, and received it just because it made us feel comfortable. But my Bible says, he said, this is for the forgiveness of sins. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. Ask God to forgive us. God, help us this morning. Thank God for the forgiveness for the past, but I'm glad that there's forgiveness for the present and the future. If we repent, ask God to forgive us. And if we're willing to turn, it's not enough just to repent. But you've got to be willing to really turn because repentance really is that. It's not just saying, God, forgive me and going on in the same lifestyle. It's saying, God, forgive me. I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn to righteousness by the power of Christ. I give myself to you, God. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to deliver me. You see, this morning, God will forgive. Thank God he does forgive. We need to be reminded that we are forgiven. And that's why we have communion, to be reminded that this is for the remission of our sins. We need to be reminded this morning we're forgiven. We need, how many of you know we need daily forgiveness? I wake up in the morning and I pray and I, I sometimes just go through the Lord's prayer to help me to, to focus and I remember the words of Jesus, forgive me, forgive me Lord as I forgive others. That's the tough part, forgiving others. Hello? It's easy to say, Lord, forgive me, but when you understand what's attached to it, forgiveness for other people. Some people are bitter and unforgiving and won't let things go from their past. It could be ancient history, still holding on to it, but we need to let it go in Jesus' name. But you know what I found? Sometimes in life, even as a Christian, we can get a little smug, a little self-righteous, and a little proud. Now, now stay with me. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's not talking about me. What I'm saying is we can go along with a thin veneer of spirituality thinking we're okay. You know what a veneer is in, in carpentry and woodworking? It's not the full piece of the plywood. It's just a little eighth of an inch covering that looks good but it has no depth and it has just a a very surface effect and it could be okay but if it gets a few nicks and cuts it goes right through to the unfinished part. In a veneer, what I mean by that is we can just have a veneer of spirituality thinking we're okay but you know what's lurking not too far below the surface? Sin. 
evil, wickedness. You don't think so? You don't know human nature well enough. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? When I want to do good, evil is present. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And you see, sometimes we can just go along in life. And even as a Christian, come to church and just kind of fly under the radar, so to speak. I'm good. But there can be things in our heart. How many of you know it's it's not enough just to keep from adultery? Jesus said if you look at a woman and lust after her, You've committed adultery. You know, it's not enough just not to shoot somebody, stab somebody. But Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you become a murderer. Oh, my Lord. See how we need, why we need to repent this morning? Don't look at me so sanctimonious because I know better. And you see, you know what God does in our life? When we're going along and, 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 and we're just kind of cruising and we've got this thin veneer of spirituality and we think we're okay, you know what God does? He turns up the heat in your life. God puts the fire to your metal. Just like a jeweler or a goldsmith will take, will take a precious metal and he will heat it. You know, it takes 2,000 degrees to, to, to purify gold. But what does that do? That the heat causes the impurities and the imperfections to come to the surface so that they might be skimmed off so that the gold might be 99.9% pure. You see, in our lives, there can be things below the surface, but God loves us too much to keep us like that. He'll turn up the heat. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's turning up the heat. He's turning up the heat. Come on, the devil is... The devil's not in control of the thermostat. God is. And he allows things in your life and in my life not to destroy us, but to develop us. Hallelujah. He turns up the heat so that things might come to the surface in our life. Hallelujah. So God, the power of communion, I'm almost done. One more point. The power of communion is the power over Satan, the power over sin, and lastly, the power over storms. The power over storms. And I'm going to read a very familiar passage in the New Testament, but it's worth reading again in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and I'm almost done, and we're going to partake of communion together. Luke 8, 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose. And he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This story, a literal, real story in the life and the occurrence of the apostles and Jesus here he is. This, is. this is the Sea of Galilee, uh, a body of water in the middle of Israel, probably about 15 miles by 8 miles or thereabouts. 
a large body of water that they would go back and forth to different sides of the, of the, of the lake. And here in this particular instance, Jesus tells them, say, listen, we're going to go to the other side. Let's get in the boat and let's launch out. And the Bible says, as they launch out, no, you know, no, no sooner did they push away from shore, Jesus is sleeping. Oh, Lord, I, I want that anointing to sleep through the night. Amen. How many of you like to, you young people don't even know what I'm talking about. Wait till you get a little older and you don't sleep as well. But, but, but don't you just, you know, with some people, you know, you get in the car, they fall asleep, you pull out of the driveway. God bless them. Here's Jesus, just pulls away from the shore, and the Bible says he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. And the wind comes, and the wave comes, and the water fills that boat, and they, and they, they, they awake Jesus, and they, don't you care, we're perishing. Now, again, understand, these are not newbies, these are not rookies. They have been on this ocean fishing, this lake fishing time after time. So whatever storm came, this was serious. They thought they were going to perish. And, and, and what did Jesus do? He arose, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and there was a great calm, and they just marveled, and then he, he rebuked them for their lack of faith. What is this picture in our lives? It pictures the storms of life. Storms will Come, turn to the person next to you, say, storms will come. There will be financial storms. There will be relational storms. There will be work-related storms. There will be health-related storms, crises, trials, problems, storms of all kinds. If you don't think so, you haven't lived long enough. There will be storms. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a verse of scripture nobody wants to claim. Nobody wants to make that their declaration for 2020, tribulations. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I will, you, I have overcome the world and so will you. We are called to be overcomers. But you know what I found most interesting in this passage of Scripture? The disciples are in this boat, going to the other side. A storm arises that is life-threatening. Isn't it amazing? You know, storms could come so quickly. One day, isn't life amazing? One day, things could be going so smoothly. The next day, hell can break loose. One day things could be, everything could be going your way. The next day there can be a reversal. There's no, you can't, there's no rhyme or reason. And you will have tribulation. But what, find, what, what is so interesting to me, and here's where we miss it sometimes. Jesus was in the boat, wasn't he? Amen? Yes, he was. That wasn't a trick question. But let me tell you, just because Jesus is in the boat doesn't mean you won't have storms. Some of us, our theology is, if God is with me, no storms, no problems. Come to Christ, 
I'll be blessed. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. But Jesus was in the boat, yet the storm still came. Jesus was in the boat, yet they thought they were going to perish. You see, some of us say, oh, I love God. I'm doing my best to serve him. But look at what I'm going through. Okay. You're in the Bible. That's scriptural. This is a storm. There will be storms. God, if you're with me, why is this happening? You know, even David, the psalmist, what did he pray in Psalm 3 of, or Psalm 4? He says, many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of me, there is no help for him in God. That was David's experience. Why? Because he had an Absalom in his life that was rebelling against him. And people were saying, God's not with David anymore. God's forsaken David. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my countenance. David understood something. There might be many that come against him, but God was still the glory and the lifter of his countenance. Can you say amen? amen? God, why is this happening? You know why? Because you're anointed. Because you're blessed. Because you're favored. Because you're going to overcome. That mess will become a message. That test will become a testimony. Why? Because the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If he shed his blood, if he gave himself on the cross, will he not freely give us all things? Can you say amen? Remember, the triumph is, you know, we're going to triumph no matter what the trial is. No matter what the trial is. This morning, if you would just prepare your hearts right now, I want you to bow your head. Please, please, you know what the Bible says? Why don't you stand with me for a moment? You know what the Bible says? Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, when you're ready to partake of communion, examine yourself. Examine yourself. He said, judge yourself. Now listen, listen to me, please listen. This is not about salvation. See, if you're partaking of communion, you should be saved, a Christian already. But you know what Paul's writing about in 1 Corinthians? Please listen to me. Get the cotton out of your ears. Judge yourself, he said, lest you be judged with the world. What did that mean? That mean examine your heart and see if there's any accumulative effect of sin that you repent of. If there's any unforgiveness and bitterness towards people. If you've got pride in your heart. Hello? If you're very critical, judge yourself. In other words, deal with things in your heart. And what's so good about this is that we can have a clean slate right now. It's not a morbid introspection. It is a dealing with issues with your loving Heavenly Father. God is saying, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to come clean this morning. I want you to experience my grace today. I don't know about you, but I want to have power over the devil. I want to have power over sin, and I want to have power over the storms. Come on, he gives us the victory this morning. But do we truly believe it today? Do we believe it? It's not enough to say, I believe. Even the devils believe, and they tremble. So the devil's ahead of some of you. Oh, I believe, Pastor. I believe. It's not enough to believe. James said, the devils believe, and they tremble with fear and reverence for almighty and holy God.
We're fools this morning if we can just mock at sin and, and just take things for granted. But when we understand there's a holy God who's a sovereign God who's in control of the universe, that we need to examine and repent and ask God to forgive us. Today's the day to repent. If you're living in sin, you know, we, we always think of the big sins. You know covetousness is a sin? Idol it's idolatry, money grubbing. Not just adultery. Hello? It's getting quiet in here, but we're examining ourselves. Say, Lord, it's me. Me, oh Lord, I'm in the need of prayer this morning. We're coming to the cross. Coming to the table of the Lord. I want you to bow your heads right now. I want you to ask God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring conviction in your life. To bring some things to the surface. Maybe you're going through some trials today. Because God is trying to reveal some things. Trying to bring some imperfections and impurities to the surface this morning. That we might deal with. And, and, and Paul says that be judge, judge yourself lest you be judged with the world. God help us this morning. Let's judge ourselves. Let's examine ourselves. Let's ask God to forgive us. Communion is all about the grace of God today. Come on, you could have power over the devil. You could have power over sin. You could have power over the storms. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, as you reveal things to us, we say, God, forgive us. God, cleanse us this morning. God, let the blood of Jesus wash over us. God, I pray, oh Lord, we pray together, God, that our faith in Christ would be real. It would be genuine. Oh God, we pray today by the power of Jesus' name that you would touch every life and every heart, that we would partake in faith. We would partake with a reverence towards you, God. Lord, we do it in remembrance of you and all that you've done, realizing the power of communion today. Father, right now in Jesus' name, let that faith rise up to believe you for power to be realized in our life today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.